You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Bible reading um, is from Acts verse 8, no, chapter 8, verse 26 to 39 and can be found on page 890 of the Pew Bibles. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Kandak, which means Queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of the scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travel along the road, They came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Uh, My name's Tim, I'm the Senior Minister here at St John's and it's uh, good to be with you tonight as we continue in this series which we've been doing uh, all through the term and it's the second last night tonight, Uh, who am I? Thinking about who we are as human beings, who are we as persons, wrestling with this question and looking at what the Bible story has to say uh, to let us know who we are as people. Uh, We're thinking uh, today about some difficult questions around uh, gender and uh, we're going to get to that passage from Acts chapter 8 a little bit later but we're also going to unpack a few other passages as we go along. Uh, Now this weekend is the weekend of the AFLW semi-finals. I don't know whether people all knew that and whether you can name all of the teams who've been playing this weekend Um, who's won the games. Now, you might not be able to because you don't care because it's football. (laughs) Any sort of football you just don't care about. Uh, You may not care because you care about men's football but not women's football. 
Or you may simply not know because you get so little coverage of the AFLW in the media compared to the men's competition, which just fills every bit of space about every minor issue that's going on. Uh, two news stories around the AFLW have come up in my news feed this week, and you might have seen some of this as well. Uh, one is the furor that was caused by uh, this photo of Carlton star Taylor Harris. Now, this is a fantastic photo of athleticism and uh, power from an amazing professional female athlete. But when this was published on the Channel 7 website, uh, there was a series of derogatory and sexually explicit comments that were flooding um, the website. So much so that Channel 7 ended up pulling the whole uh, post down. Uh, and then there was all of this anger directed at Channel 7 because, well, why did they take that down? There's nothing wrong with that photo. Hang on, getting too far ahead of yourself there. Nothing particularly wrong with that photo. Um, and we will go to the next one. Like when you compare it to a uh, famous photo of uh, Teddy Witten there, um, and people have done this with other modern-day men's players side by side, sort of exactly the same sort of shots, but when the men, uh, the photo of the men are published, it doesn't get all of these comments, but the women, uh, it does. Which has led to a lot of reflection, and a sociologist from Deakin University, Kim Toffoletti, uh, has written this week, even though the representation of women in sport might be changing towards more positive images of active and dynamic sportswomen, there's still a selection, sorry, there's still a section of society who are resistant to it and, in fact, hostile to it. Now, some might dismiss the sort of negative comments as just, this is just a few misogynist trolls who are... Um, out making these sorts of comments. And it's so encouraging to hear from Linda the sort of positive stories of men encouraging women uh, at Diamond Creek Footy Club. But it does highlight, this is not sort of, let's dismiss this as just a few weirdos writing these comments. It highlights, I think, gender inequalities that still exist in our society. And it represents attempts to hold on to sort of bastions of male power um, like professional sport, and to exclude women uh, from these fields which have traditionally been the men's domain. So it's a way of sort of trying to push woman, women out of these areas. The other news article that came up uh, in my feed earlier in the week wasn't actually about anyone who's playing this weekend, but about a player who is not part of the AFLW at all. Um, the player is Hannah Mouncey, who's there on the screen, who's a transgender athlete who was denied entry into the 2017 AFLW draft. Uh, born Callum Mouncey and an Australian national handball player, uh, she began hormone therapy in 2015 and publicly identified as a woman in May 2016. Now, her desire to uh, offer herself into the draft sparked debate about whether this should or shouldn't be allowed. Was it fair 
for her to be competing uh, against uh, other women, um, would it be fair in terms of physicality? Should she be allowed to play? And the AFL denied her entry. But many people, including the author of the article that I was reading, claimed that it was discriminatory for the AFL to deny her to play. Uh, and so now instead she represents Australia as a member of the women's handball team. As we examine the question today, who am I? And we think about questions of gender and gender identity, we need to recognise that we're dealing with an incredibly complex question. This is hard stuff and many times this week I've thought, why did I decide to even tackle this topic in church? Why? Some people might be saying, why are we talking about this in church? But the answer is, we believe that God speaks to us and God speaks to us in his word. God has trustworthy things to say that will help us understand ourselves and he wants us to flourish as human beings. And God's word is not an ancient book that is just sort of irrelevant to our day and age, but when we confront real issues in our society, in our lives, that we can go to God's word and see what he has to say and he does have things to speak to us. And so what I want to do today is really bring together a number of the pieces that we've been building through this series and think through what the story of the Bible as it unfolds and what we've seen about identity has to speak into this question of gender and gender identity. So the way we're going to do it is not just go searching for a verse here or there that might relate to gender or transgender or anything like that, but to go through and say, let's look at the stages of the biblical story and see how it applies. This is how I would always answer a complex question like this. So we'll look at what does the story of creation have to say about gender as we looked at being created by God, being made in his image, being made as whole people. Then what does the issue, what does the the fall, our rebellion against God and the brokenness we see in the world have to say and speak into the issue of gender? Then what does the coming of Jesus and salvation in Jesus have to say to this question? There'd be one more step that I'm not going to get to today, and that is what is the future hope that we have in Jesus? That's the topic that we're going to be looking at next week. What does that have to say? But we're not going to get there today. We're just going to do those three steps, I think, will be enough for us today. Before we actually do that unpacking, though, some definitions might be helpful to get our minds around uh, what we're talking about here, particularly to distinguish between uh, sex, biological sex, and gender. So biological sex speaks about physical or physiological characteristics um, that differentiate um, between what is male and female. So it includes sexual organs, you know, penis, vagina, testes, those sorts of things. Hormones, right, the amount of testosterone or oestrogen um, that our body produces. Uh, and chromosomes, so uh, females uh, being XX and males being XY. So when we're talking about sex, biological sex, we're talking about physical and biological matters. 
Gender, on the other hand, relates more to psychology, how we think about ourselves, and also sort of cultural issues about how gender plays out in a particular culture or society. So gender identity is about how you think about yourself. Do you think about yourself and perceive yourself and identify as a man or as a woman or as something else? Gender expression is about how you present yourself to others. Do you present yourself in a masculine way or a feminine way or some other way? And then you can talk about gender roles as well. What traditional roles are given to men and women in particular societies? And you can think about sort of stereotypes that are given to men and women as well. And all of those sort of form part of gender. Now, for most people, their gender identity matches their biological sex. There's a match between those two things. And the term for that is cisgender. You might have heard that term being used. It's a fairly new term, but that's to talk about your gender matches your biological sex. But for other people, their gender, their sense of who they are, does not match their biological sex. And the term for that is transgender. So those are terms that you might have come across. There are still others, of course, who reject the whole idea of gender as binary, that there are only two genders, uh, and would say that it's actually a spectrum or spectrums on which you might identify. Uh, and that's where terms like gender queer or gender fluid, bi-gender, pan-gender, agender, and so on come in. Now, a couple of years ago, Facebook provided 71 different options for gender. But now, it, that's too restrictive. It's got rid of that so that on Facebook, you can uh, put yourself down as male, female, or custom. So you can choose what to put in because 71 options was, was limiting. So you can realise how complex this is. <laughs> and you might ask the question, well, what's the Bible got to say about all of that? So again, let's look through the biblical story and unpack how the Bible unfolds and what it might have to say. Starting with creation. When we looked at creation, one of the key passages that we looked at, which I think will help us with this, is Genesis 1.27. When God's creating humankind, he speaks these words. He says, we, we read, So God created mankind or humankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So the first thing that we must say when we come to this question is that everybody, every single person, is made in the image of God. And everyone is therefore worthy of dignity and respect. That's got to be the starting point for any conversation that we're having, that whether a person is male or female, however a person identifies, whatever someone has done in their life, they are an image bearer. They are God's image bearer and therefore they are worthy of love and compassion and respect and dignity. The second thing you see in this verse is that differences in sex and gender are built into God's creation. That right from the start you have male and female and that this is a fundamental characteristic of the world and humanity. 
the maleness uh, and femaleness of humanity seems to go beyond just the physical too uh, in the creation accounts in Genesis. It's part of our relational nature that as we reflect God's image and likeness, that men and women together reflect God's character. There's a relational aspect to it. You see too that there's a distinction between Adam and Eve where for Adam to be a man and Adam's manness is distinct from Eve as a woman. And in fact, they're sort of defined in terms of each other. It makes no sense, um, Adam's manness makes no sense without a woman to be contrasted with. They're defined as distinct from each other, but they're in relationship with each other and they jointly have the role, they share the role of caring for God's creation and looking after it. It's a job that they do together. Sometimes people will argue that gender is simply a social construction, that it's something that's just made up by societies or religions, that it has no objective basis. And in fact, we're moving away from using the term biological sex to assigned sex. You'll come across that terminology a lot. What, What is a person's assigned sex? as if it's somehow sort of arbitrarily assigned independently of biology. But here we see that in the Bible there is an objective basis for sex and gender that is not just a cultural thing. You don't see that cultural view simply reflected in the Bible. Gender is seen as derived from an extension of sex. Sex and gender are both part of the creation order and are seen as binary There is male and female, there is man and woman. Now, having said that, we have to be careful not to just simplistically fall into gender stereotypes which are untrue or unhelpful. Too often, Christians do this a lot, where they kind of characterise, well, men are like this and women are like this, and they go looking for distinctions which aren't necessarily found in the Bible. So, sort of, Men are stereotypically tough and rugged and analytical and women are stereotypically sensitive and nurturing and relational. And even this week, um, we've seen mistakes by Christians where they have used these stereotypes in ways which, which are simply unhelpful. So a writer on a prominent Christian blog that I won't name was reflecting on the latest Marvel movie, Captain Marvel, and lamenting the fact that the hero of that movie was a terrible portrayal of femininity because in the movie, a woman protects men and saves the world. And, um, and he laments the fact that, you know, how far Disney have fallen from their high days of Disney princesses like Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, you know, women who sleep through all of the action and need saving... But this is, this is genuinely, this is not a spoof, this is a Christian writing and lamenting that this is a, a poor view of femininity that's being presented. And I just ask myself, I mean, mate, have you read the Bible? I mean, there are people like Queen Esther who courageously stands up to the king to save the entire Jewish nation. And there's Deborah, who's this judge who leads the entire Israelite military against the invaders who've come in and wins the battle let alone the woman who drives the tent peg through the guy's skull in the same story. You know, it just, 
when you, when you read the Bible, you see that there is a varied portrayal of men and women there, and there aren't restrictions on the roles of men and women particularly either. Most gender roles, like who manages the finances, who does the cooking, who takes the bins out, vary from person to person, household to household, culture to culture. There are some gender roles which are biologically determined, like pregnancy and breastfeeding, but it's actually quite hard to isolate the differences between men and women. Men are generally taller and heavier, hairier, and physically stronger than women, but that is not true to say of all men compared to all women. So this graph sort of indicates height differences, if you compare sort of height differences between men and women, and yep, generally, average height, men are taller than women. But there's a lot of overlap there, and there are a heck of a lot of women who are taller than a heck of a lot of men. And so you can't sort of say, this is what men are like, this is like what women are like, and if I pick two at randomly, it'll be like this, because you've got to take into account the variation amongst women and amongst men, as well as any differences you might see between them. And people writing on that blog, I think often it's more about cultural stereotypes of masculinity and femininity rather than anything that's there in the Bible. So that's by way of having a think about creation and what we see in the creation story about men and women. But as we've seen, as Christians understanding our world and understanding ourselves, we have to couple the goodness of creation and the world that God has made and, and us as well with the fact that things are not all the way that they should be, that there is a brokenness in our world as a result of the fall, that people haven't lived up to all that God wanted us to, to uh, the way that God wanted us to live, that we haven't, we've sort of rejected God and his rule over us and sought to do things our own ways. And that does lead to a brokenness in our world that we need to take seriously. It's a brokenness which is broad, and as we've seen, it's all-encompassing. It actually affects every part of our personhood. And so things go wrong in our world. Things go wrong relationally. People don't treat each other as they should. And men and women don't always treat each other as they should. Now, things go wrong behaviourally. That is, people don't always act in the way that we're supposed to act and that God would want us to act. So the sort of disgusting comments that filled that feed with the Taylor Harris photo are symptoms, the Bible would say, of the fall and our brokenness and our sinfulness as human beings. And when women are subject to abusive and derogatory comments, that goes against the way that God has designed the world to be and it is not acceptable. It's the sort of a behaviour that needs to be opposed and stood up to and should I say, by men, when you see other men doing it, that you need to speak up and oppose it. Um, when we confess our sins in church, we not only confess the things that we do that we shouldn't do, we also confess the things that we fail to do that we should have done. And God takes both of those things seriously. And staying silent in the face of hateful speech or demeaning jokes is actually a failure to do what is right. Uh, researchers in the area of violence against women say that in terms of primary intervention against, uh, in violence against women, 
What is needed is respectful relationships and equality between men and women. And so when you hear someone tell a derogatory joke against a woman in your workplace or at your school, a stupid blonde joke or something like that, the way that you behave matters. Don't laugh at the joke and say, do you know what, I don't find it funny and actually I find it offensive. Now you might say, well that's just, that's just over the top saying that that's somehow related to violence against women. But the research shows that it's kind of that first step when you devalue other people and start to um, caricature them in, in some way that it actually leads down that path. It flows out of disrespect towards other people. So things go wrong relationally and behaviourally, but things also go wrong psychologically in the way that we think and also physically in terms of our bodies and how they behave. And I think it's really important to hold these things and think through these things uh, in terms of our theological framework for understanding what's going on as we navigate the complexity of gender identity. So things do go wrong physically or physiologically in terms of biological sex. It's rare, but not everyone is born clearly as male or female. There are various intersex conditions. Um, so, for example, sometimes people's sexual organs don't uh, develop <laughs> normally. And so there's ambiguity at birth whether someone is male or female. It's just not clear from their genitals whether they're male or female. It can happen at a chromosomal level as well. So there's something called Klinefelter syndrome, one example, where males have an e extra X chromosome. So they're XXY rather than XY. So things happen physiologically. There are physical things that happen which, which sometimes doesn't make clear male and female. But the fall, of course, impacts us psychologically, so it impacts the way that we think about ourselves as well. Now, that's normally pretty non-controversial. We'd normally say, yeah, sure, things like depression or high levels of anxiety, that's not the way that God would want the world to function. They're not good things. Uh, and even we would say the same around various thought patterns around bodies. So anorexia, for example, a person might perceive that they're really overweight, while in fact they're starving themselves and their body is really underweight dangerously underweight. And in those cases, uh, people would try and help people with their thought patterns so that they'd think rightly about their body. But when it comes to gender identity, where there's one perception in the mind, I'm a woman, and a different reality in terms of biological sex, my body is biologically male, very controversial if you start talking about, well, how do we, do we challenge a person's thinking to change their mind about that? How do we think about it? Um, the DSM, which is the sort of textbook of psychological or psychiatric conditions, um, prior to 2013, it had something in there called gender identity disorder. So that if a person had a different view of their gender to their biological sex, they were classified as having gender identity disorder. It's a psychological condition. 
But when it was updated in 2013, that was removed and now there's what's called gender dysphoria, which you may have heard of, which is only where a person's idea of their gender differs from their biological sex, but also that this is quite a distressing thing. So it's, it's measured by the symptoms of psychological stress that come because of the incongru incongruity between the perception of gender and the biological sex. And it is, it is very distressing for people. The levels of suicide amongst transgender people is something like 41% of transgender people will take their own lives. The feeling of being trapped in the wrong body, that, that sense of lack of identity, who am I, and the distress that they cause, this is, this is very, very difficult for people. And they need care and compassion. But how do we help people? How do we help people whose mind says one thing and it's different to what their body is saying? See, in the past, the default was, well, we need to offer therapy and help to a person to change their mind so their mind would match their body. The default now is, well, let's change the body to match the mind through hormone therapy or through uh, surgery. We talked about the fact that in creation God made us as integrated beings and the, the church has made mistakes in the past by uh, seeing us really as souls just within a body and our bodies as being unimportant. Uh, and in fact, you know, Christians often used to say just about saving souls and not being worried about the body. But we've seen that in the creation accounts actually our being embodied matters, that God designed us as complex beings with thoughts as well as bodies and our bodies matter to God as well as our minds mattering to God. So it's a complex question. Let me be clear here that the Bible draws a distinction always between our thoughts, our, our desires, and our behaviours. So we're not condemned for our desires. So if a person feels like they're trapped in the wrong body, that is not a sinful desire to have. It's just the way that they are. But the Bible does hold us accountable for our behaviour. So we need to think about, well, what's the appropriate way to respond? How should we behave? Because behaviour is an act of our will and we make decisions about how we'll behave. The Bible does challenge us uh, in a few places, like Deuteronomy 22.5, about behaviours which blur gender distinctions. So Deuteronomy 22.5, which is part of the law to Israel, talks about uh, men wearing women's clothing and women wearing men's clothing and saying that that is not in keeping with what God would want us to do. So there are challenges in the scripture which would question uh, this idea. And I would just want to say that we need to be very, very cautious before rushing in and encouraging people to change their bodies because the Bible doesn't see our body just as clay to be moulded or as just a piece of meat that doesn't matter, but that the whole of ourselves, we are embodied people, body and mind both matter together to God and we need to be much more cautious and wary about how we move forward when a person is living with this sort of dysphoria. I mean, Christian, evangelical Christian psychologists will say there are times where that just that is the best answer in terms of surgery, because a person is in such distress 
and they are suicidal, that something needs to happen. Um, but the effectiveness of gender reassignment surgery is not necessarily uh, all that successful. It's very hard to analyse the data because it's so politicised in terms of even research is not really necessarily neutral. But a long-term follow-up study in Sweden showed that the experience of undergoing gender transition seemed to do little to address the high rate of suicide over a long period of time. Uh, and there are lots of instances of sex change regret, which is not well publicised. So this week I read the story of Kari, who's a 17-year-old, sorry, who as a 17-year-old transitioned from female to male and then at 22, detransitioned. And with deep regret, she writes, this is the real outcome of transition. I'm a real live 22-year-old woman with a scarred chest and a broken voice and a five o'clock shadow because I couldn't face the idea of growing up to be a woman. That's my reality. So what does Jesus, what does the good news of Jesus have to say? What does Jesus have to say to someone like Kari who feels broken as a result of the decisions that she's made with her body? What does the gospel of Jesus have to say to someone who feels like they're trapped in the wrong body? What does the gospel of Jesus have to say to a woman who's been subject to derogatory comments um, and abuse by men and discrimination? Or for that matter, what does the gospel of Jesus have to say to a man who has perpetrated that sort of abuse towards women? Well, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that God welcomes us by his grace. That God receives us and invites us into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ by his grace and he doesn't insist that we change first, get ourselves rights first or sort ourselves out first before he says you're welcome and I invite you into relationship with me through Jesus. God welcomes and includes us first. He gives us his Holy Spirit and then he says, let's go to work sorting out what needs to be sorted out in your life. Every single person is broken and in need of help and change, but that's not the criteria that you're right first before you come to me. I invite you in and then let's go to work on whatever needs to be sorted out in your life. Our Bible reading today was from Acts chapter 8. And it tells the story of a eunuch. Now, a eunuch uh, in those days, uh, this man, is a, he's a high official for the Queen of Ethiopia. Uh, and it was common for men serving in those positions to have their genitals cut off. That's what a eunuch was, so that they could serve the Queen without risk of sexual violence to her. And so this story, which actually tells the story of the first person who becomes a Christian outside of the nation of Israel, as recorded in the book of Acts, is a guy who is very ambiguous in terms of his sex and his gender. He's in a chariot going from Jerusalem back home, and God is so concerned with this man that the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and says, I want you to go out on a remote road and I want you to wait for a chariot to come past. And when the chariot comes past, Philip gets up and starts dialoguing with this guy. He's reading through the scroll of Isaiah and he's trying to work out what's being spoken about here. There's a prophecy there and he doesn't understand it. 
And Philip says to him, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the lamb who was slaughtered, whose blood was shed by his death on the cross so that you can be in relationship with God. Philip explains the gospel to him. He says, Jesus died for you, Jesus rose again, and you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And the eunuch says, well, what's stopping me being baptised? And Philip doesn't say, well, you've got to sort yourself out first or you need some sort of plastic surgery before you're welcome. He says, great, let's find the water and let's baptise you. So the, the first person who becomes a Christian outside of Israel is someone that we would describe as genderqueer today, and yet God loved him, sought him out, and invited him in and said, welcome, you're part of my family. There is no barrier to him following Jesus. It's not even mentioned as an issue. Last week's passage from Galatians, which Julie brought to us, reminds us that relationship with Jesus is what's most important. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, There is, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's not saying that gender is irrelevant or it doesn't exist. It doesn't say that nationality is irrelevant or doesn't exist. What it is saying is that those are not the most important things. They're not primary. What matters most of all is your relationship with Jesus. That comes first and foremost. And it's also saying that gender and nationality are not things that should be barriers to us in our relationships in the church. They shouldn't stop us being in relationship with each other. What matters most is that we're God's children, God's sons and daughters, and that in Jesus we've got a new way of life to live and that we're together in it as the church. What people need who are struggling with gender identity issues is community, connectedness and support, all of which the church can offer and should offer. People accuse the church of being transphobic. If a transgender person was to walk into this church, the question would be, how do we welcome them? Because if we, were say, if we were to say, you're not welcome and you're not part of us, then that accusation would be 100% correct. But if we were to be welcoming and inclusive, which I believe in this beautiful church, which I love, is exactly what would happen, then that is exactly what God is calling us to do, to welcome others and to say, look, all of us have stuff that we need to work through with God but we'll journey with you and walk alongside you and we'll look at God's word together and we'll trust God's spirit as he transforms each one of us. As followers of Jesus, what we need is compassion and conviction. We need to show compassion to people in the midst of great complexity around gender and we also need to hold to our convictions, looking at what God's word has to say to us in the midst of a world which is full of great confusion. I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to pray. I'm not pretending like I've answered every question, but that's why there's Q&A to follow. Um, so let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you do uh, welcome and invite us into relationship with yourself, regardless of 
what we've done, what we're thinking and where we're at in our lives. We thank you for your beautiful grace to us and we ask that you would continue to grow each one of us to become more like Jesus. We pray that you would continue to transform our community to one which is welcoming and inclusive and one which uh, values each person as being made in your image. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.